Welcome to Mahita Talks. My name is Sherry Altergut. I'm the Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. And today I'm very excited to have Jim Ripgate, President of High Tech Material Handling with us. He's also been a longtime member of Mahita and is the MC of the Emerging Leaders Conference that we do annually. So welcome, Jim. Thank you for taking some time today. Well, thanks for having me, Sherry. I'm happy to, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, so today we're going to talk a little bit about aftermarket. We'll get into just what's going on with COVID. But first, I thought maybe could we start out a little bit? I'm always very interested in how people got introduced to this industry. Um, I know you've heard before, we always talk, people don't typically go to high school saying, I'm going to be a part of the material handling industry. Um, so how did you how did you get started in material handling? Uh, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to graduate from college during a recession, and um, I was grateful to uh, be offered a position with a uh, lift truck dealer in Ohio uh, in sales. And uh, I worked in sales for you know probably a year or so, and then by by happenstance, uh, certainly not by design. Or, or decree, I guess, I, I got an opportunity to move into operations, working as a parts manager and and uh, overseeing rental at a branch. And uh, I worked uh, for a couple different dealerships uh, in operations. So I had a, you know, a, a pretty good, uh, I guess, exposure to both the sales side and the operations side of the dealership. The dealership model, and then at uh, at High Tech, uh, I was the general manager for a number of years. I left High Tech and um, pursued a, a, a position with some other dealerships, and uh, went back to High Tech in 2012 as as president of the the lift truck business. It's been a, it's been quite a journey. It's been a lot of fun, and I've uh, the thing I've enjoyed the most is is uh, interacting and meeting and dealing with. With the people in our industry, both customers and and uh, employees, it's um, it certainly has been a uh, a great great experience for me. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, speaking of of high tech and the current, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up what we're currently going through with COVID nineteen. Um, how is high tech doing through this pandemic, and how are you um, still servicing your customers? Well, we've uh, we've we have fared uh, very well during the uh, during the pandemic. As an essential business, we never, you know, shut down or or or, or delayed uh, our services to our customers. We uh, we certainly took a little a little hit in revenue. You know, our, our customers were closed, so they weren't, you know, all buying at the same time. So so revenue. Uh, was was down significantly, you know, booking revenue during March and, and April, but we had we had a very nice backlog, so we were able to maintain full employment. We didn't uh, we didn't have any layoffs or any uh, you know COVID related restructuring of any kind. And um, coming out of it, you know, really the last couple of months, um, our recovery has been rapid. So uh, I think you know we'll be a little off the target for 2020. Um, but uh, not not nearly as bad as um, some of our colleagues in, in other parts of the country have been faring. So 
we should we should do very well and uh, bring a bring a strong backlog into 2021. That's great to hear. That's really great to hear. Now I, I know as as part of your business, and one of the things really keeping a lot of the forklift dealerships alive. Um, is the aftermarket business, is the margins they're receiving in aftermarket. And across the entire industry, um, new equipment sales have been down. Um, so a lot of people are surviving in aftermarket, and I know high tech is a really strong aftermarket dealership. How would you define aftermarket within the material handling industry? Well, it, it, the, the aftermarket means a number of things to a number of people. From a, from a dealer's perspective, you know the aftermarket is is the is the service and parts and and even rental business, um, you know for for the dealership. From a from a customer's point of view, to me is is the most important. It's how are you going to keep me productive? Uh, I've, I've purchased this piece of equipment. Um, it's vital, you know, for me to be able to move, stack, and store product and finished goods and raw materials. How are you going to keep me uh, in business since I've purchased this machine? So they, you know, the customer has a vested interest in, in the dealer's capability. So, you know, for, for the sake of, of, of our conversation, um, from the dealer's perspective, uh, the aftermarket is essentially the, the operations and uh, the growth vehicle of parts, service, and, and, and even rental. Yeah, I've always found the term aftermarket to be very interesting, and some other industries use it, but to really define it, different dealerships kind of bucket different things within aftermarket, and you kind of touched on it. Could you just comment a little bit more about the components of how you define aftermarket at high tech? Sure. For us, our our, uh, our division is between uh, new and used equipment, and then part service and rental. When when it comes to aftermarket and aftermarket reporting, so anything after a truck or a lift truck is sold and delivered, everything from that point forward becomes an aftermarket related component. So obviously, our our parts business is is part of the. Uh, aftermarket in, in terms of our investment in parts and how we deliver replacement parts to our to our technicians or our end user customers um, our service business is you know our largest investment uh, in terms of people and and uh, and capital and, and then our rental business is is a key driver for that variable demand that a, that a customer may have hey I, I purchased five lift trucks from you but Boy, during this period, I'm very busy. I need seven, and we can deliver those other two. Or during a time where they may experience, you know, a, a, a service-related breakdown to the equipment that's more extensive, and they, they need a replacement truck right away. So those components are what we we study. Uh, those are the ones that we manage. Um, those are the ones that we have the most reporting metrics to, because it's the it's the engine. It's the engine that drives our dealership. Uh, the, the lifeblood of the dealership comes from the profitability and sustainable profitability of that aftermarket business. Awesome. I love that you touched on 
um, some key metrics and managing the aftermarket part of your business. Uh, I am by nature a little bit of a, a data geek and I really believe strongly in, in having well-defined metrics so that you can better manage and improve all elements of your business. So staying in aftermarket for a little bit, what are some of the tools you use to manage and measure aftermarket for your dealership? Well, you hit it right on the head, Sherry. The, the, the data points that we report up monthly and, and, and publish monthly gives us a good feel for where we're doing well, where we need to improve. And we have those data points laid out by, by those operations. For example, you know, in the service business, probably, you know, that has the most metrics related to it because it's, uh, it's the largest component of our aftermarket offering. So in the labor side, we, we study utilization and productivity of labor. Uh, you know, utilization being the, the, the ratio between how many hours were available to, to work and how many hours did we, as a dealership, how many did we buy? You know, what was our payroll compared to the offering? We, we need to see 100% there or better uh, to, to, to hit our targets. Uh, productivity. Um, is the ratio between how many hours did we pay and how many hours did we bill? <laughs> you know, um, paying, paying and buying hours is easy, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Selling them and billing them and collecting them is, is a little bit more difficult. But we have to, we have to see, you know, 87.5% is our, is our threshold. You know, sometimes we'll hit as high as 90, 92% of the hours that we paid we're billing a customer for. Um, and that's, that's very good, but you know, no one metric, I mean, you can maximize any metric. So no one of these do we put the most, uh, credence into, we, we really look at all of them as a balance, kind of like leading the orchestra. You got to have all the pieces in order to make the music. So we look at effective billing rates, you know, for, for what our field technicians are doing, what our shop technicians are doing, uh, how well we're recovering warranty what our internal labor rates are doing. Are we, are we staying consistent there? Um, and then we look at the growth side of the business. You know, are, we, are we selling PNs and maintenance contracts? Uh, we have a target there every month that we, uh, we, we measure and want to see how well we're growing the business and then how well we're doing those PMs. What's our PM completion ratio? A lot of people, you know, set a standard, oh, we got to hit, you know, 90% of the PMs. Well, our target's 100%. You know, the, uh, the one that you don't do is the one that always gets you. So mm -hmm. we, we got to do them all, you know. We also look at full maintenance very, uh, very closely, how well we're performing on our long-term maintenance contracts, you know, to a, to a target or a budget. And, and those types of data points and those types of metrics we have in the parts business, we have them in the rental business. They're a little different, you know, measuring in data points. But blend it all together, they give us a very good look as to how well we're performing and how well we're growing. The danger that, that, that I, I've seen over the years has been people will manage their dealership or their operations to the metric rather than reporting the metric. So in other mm -hmm. words, a lot of people will um, say, hey, the, the key to us making money is we gotta do this or Boy, the the boss really wants this one, you know, really strong. So we got to do this, and usually we do it at the detriment of 
another metric, or mm-hmm. worse yet, worse yet, we do it to the detriment of the customer. You know, we're so busy focusing on the data and these data points that we forget where the customer falls. Mm-hmm. So really taking care of the customer is our number one metric. And all of these other ones are, are, are tied for second place. You know, that's, that's the way we want to say it. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up. And I think people tend to lose. I, I've seen one of two things happen. Either they're too focused on the metrics, as you were saying, that they've lost sight of the purpose of the metrics, or oh, they don't yeah. have any metrics, so it becomes difficult to really manage it. And I think, you know, the last statement that you made couldn't be more true. If, if the customer's happy, you will fulfill all of the other metrics. I mean, they are the main catalyst to help you do that. So I think that's a, a great focus and a more holistic focus um, because it's not one metric that's making you successful. It's really the whole, you know, and focusing on the whole, including the satisfaction of your employees. You know, I think some, some uh, companies that may be too focused on metrics, not only do it at the detriment of their customers, but also pushing their employees to really an unattainable um, workload in some cases. So I think that's awesome. No that question. That broader view on that. <clears throat> so, you know, kind of sticking again on aftermarket and some metrics, I'm sure, you know, the business model has changed a little bit with what we're currently going through. Um, buying behaviors have changed a little bit. As you had mentioned before, you had some customers that had to close for a while. Um, you might have had some customers that had a huge increase in business if you were working with anybody that produced uh, toilet paper, paper towels, or any type of cleaning supplies. Um, during the global pandemic, how has that affected aftermarket at high tech? Well, our biggest challenge was, was really in two buckets, to, you know, per se. The number one bucket and most important to us was the, the safety and well-being of our employees. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic came about, it came about very quickly, and there was a lot of confusion. And I'm talking about just at our place, you know, a lot of confusion as to what it is, how we need to deal with it. Um, oh, now the government's getting involved. Oh, now the state of Ohio is getting involved. Now the now the you know, Franklin County is getting involved. You know, what kind of restrictions are we going to have? So there was some fear. We had some associates that you know were were afraid to come to the office. We had some associates that needed to, to take some time uh, to, to tend to maybe their parents or other family members. We had people that, you know, schools were being closed. So they, you know, they couldn't leave their children alone. So they had to, they had to go home. Um, so, you know, we, you know, we were kind of caught off guard a little bit by that, but we, we supported everybody and what they were doing. Um, so that was our, our first big challenge. The second challenge was customers were closing. Mm. So, um, they were shutting down, sending their employees home or experiencing, you know, similar challenges that we were having. So, you know, PMs couldn't get done. Um, service calls weren't coming in. Um, we had, you know, some full maintenance customers that were shutting down and, and, and we had to shut off their billing. Uh, you know, not because we are obligated to contractually, but because we're a good partner. And so our revenues took a hit. Um, our service revenues took a hit. Our part sales took a hit. Um, 
it, it, it didn't last very long. And I want to say, you know, a, a month, six weeks, two months, somewhere in that window. And then we started seeing some things come out of it. We started seeing uh, rental business starting to grow. You know, people were a little leery about spending capital. They were preserving capital. So, you know, instead of buying equipment or leasing equipment, they were renting it. And so our rental deliveries went, went, went up significantly and, and we've kind of maintained those, which has been good for our business. Um, but then they slowly started opening. Businesses were coming back and we were able to put our technicians back to work, you know, completely. And, uh, and, it, and it, like I said, it's been, it's been a, a challenging recovery, but it's been a little faster than we thought. And, um, you know, God willing, we, we, we hope it sustains itself through the balance of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and you touched on a few things. I think, you know, with our service technicians and, and ports correspondents and service dispatchers <clears throat> haven't gotten enough credit through this pandemic because they really have been the frontline workers of this industry. Oh, absolutely. You know, that have gone to work and have been out there in the field every day supporting those customers in the midst of the height of the pandemic. Um, so they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I think the second point that you touched on, you know, that in the beginning you might have had to take a hit with, you know, stopping a service contract or letting some employees work from home or maybe not work at all because they're caring for kids or adults. And it's a short-term hit. And I think that's really important to remember because people remember that. Your employees remember that you did that for them and your customers remember that you were there for them. And so in the future, they're there for you. And it really builds that loyalty and that emotional commitment to your business. So I love that you thought about that in the overall strategy because I think it, it makes a big difference long-term for a successful dealership like yourself. I'll tell you, our, our people were amazing during this, this whole challenge. Uh, our technicians were um, approaching customers in new ways, um, doing service work outside in the parking lot on equipment, doing it on second shift. And never, the, the, the question never came up in order to be entertained, you know, boy, we should charge more for this. Uh, we never did. Um, our relationships grew exponentially with our customers because they knew that we genuinely cared about their business and, and their productivity. Um, you know, we had one customer that shut down for a couple of months, just left all the equipment where it was. So naturally, uh, their entire electric fleet was, you know, the batteries were dead. Mm-hmm. They couldn't move anything when they were coming back to work. So, you know, we went in and uh, moved equipment, got it charged. Uh, sprayed it down, wiped it off for them, got everything ready so that when they threw the switch and said, okay, we're open, let's bring our employees back, all their equipment was ready to go. Um, all of their all their needs were, were met. Um, and and, and that, that idea came from our people. You know, let's go do this for them. And, uh, boy, as a result, our, our, our relationships have never been better. That's awesome. That's really great to hear. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit and, and look forward kind of in the future. And, and I know you've been a part of the industry a long time. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes, especially as it relates to aftermarket and even just the sophistication of the equipment. 
So as you look forward, what are some of the latest trends that either you see happening now or you believe will happen in the near future as it relates to aftermarket offerings? That's a great question. You know, um, you know our ability in our industry to look into the crystal ball is not not real far, but it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's interesting enough. You know, when coming up in this business, I remember people talking about, you know, oh, we, we need to look at doing full maintenance contracts so we can give a a customer one bill a month uh, that covers everything. You know, that was futuristic thinking when I first got into it. And now it's like, way well, everybody does. Everybody Are you does kidding that. me? We have to do that. Um, but really, you know, the, the things that are on the, 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 the leading edge right now that are really coming about for us are really being leveraged by technology. Um, the entire, you know, telemetry world has changed so much over the last 10 years. Um, where, you know, we're in a position now and it's getting even better where we can provide customers, you know, real-time data on their performance metrics of their equipment so that they can make, you know, the most informed decisions they can about their fleet. Um, you know, that ability was, was kind of a pipe dream, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and now it's, it's really happening. Uh, the ability to look at a computer screen and see where your equipment is, see what it's doing, see you know what, what your operators are doing. That 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 that's here. It's here now, and it's getting better. Um, also, the technology that's coming about in alternative energy, uh, lithium ion, uh, pure lead technology, um, hydrogen fuel cell capabilities. You know, not only are are the are the power sources becoming available and readily available, but also the the uh, the equipment is being designed at the factory to support that level of technology. Um, the infrastructure of the service side to support lithium ion or, or hydrogen fuel cell, or how do you refill a fuel cell? All that is coming together right now and, and has been for the last year or two, and it's really gotten momentum that it, it's real. Um, it's, it's, you know, to the point where, you know, how many how many lead acid batteries will be out there in ten years? Mm -hmm. I, I can't say, you know, because of the the level of, of this technology. And then the last one is kind of a kind of a blend that I see, you know, the the whole robotic and automation side. Uh, going into a warehouse and seeing equipment being, you know, stacked and stored without an operator. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a little bit more equipment related, but having the ability to to service that product, program that product, uh, or or alter it. Um, boy, it was doing this when we got it. Now we want it to do this. You know, that's a, that's a service or aftermarket related function. Um, all that's coming about. It's coming about quickly, uh, and and it, it 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 hasn't changed the need that the industry has for more qualified technicians. To, to work and to service the equipment for our industry. Right. And I think, you know, we've been going towards automation for a long time now, but I think the current crisis has put that on a trajectory that's even faster um, than many people anticipated it would be um, because of, of labor and because if this happens again, if organizations were more automated, they wouldn't have some of the issues that they had um, during the crisis. So I think that it's an important part. It's a great career path for somebody that's interested 
um, because it's here to stay. You know, like it, it is an essential worker, especially our field service technicians. I think that's a great point. Sure. So thank you for answering these questions. Now for, for our listeners, we, they really love our lightning round portion of Mahita Talks. Um, we have some of the best people in the industry on Mahita Talks and we'd like to get to know them a little bit better. So I'm gonna ask you a few lightning round questions. The first answer that comes to your head is the answer that you'll, you'll give our listeners. Are you ready? Okay, I am okay. ready. All right. Um, well, I'd like to start off a little bit easy. So would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? Uh, I would rather lose the ability to read. <laughs> I think most people would agree with you. We're not much of a reading culture anymore. <laughs> I, you know, I, listen. Everybody, everybody fancies themselves a great reader. Um, <laughs> but if I couldn't interact with people verbally, and and you know, both talk to them and listen to them, I, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> what have you done that you're most proud of? Well, the uh, I guess the answer was would be uh, you know being a good parent and uh, having a good family. But um, I, I, I think on that same level is um, having the ability to, uh, to just work with probably the greatest group of people I've ever worked with in my 30-year career uh, are the people I work with at iTech. Awesome. If you were a ghost and could possess people, what would you make them do? <laughs> do my laundry, make my bed, and, and make my meals for me. Nice. <laughs> um, what was the last movie you watched? Uh, the last movie I watched was um, Richard Jewell um, about the uh, Centennial Park bombings during the 96 oh. Olympics. Was it good? Very good film. It was excellent. <laughs> uh, Clint Eastwood uh, production. Uh, he never misses. He, it was great. Good. I'll check that one out. What was the last thing you liked on social media? Oh boy, probably a YouTube video. I'm I'm not a huge uh, social media um, guy. You know, I, I, I sit I sit on LinkedIn, but I also uh, watch a lot of YouTube videos. So uh, probably something there on YouTube that uh, is probably you know sophomoric, uh, matching my sense of humor. <laughs> If you had to live your entire life in one place and couldn't travel, would it be a place that's always cold or a place that's always hot? Oh, well, um, I would probably probably fancy a place that's always a little warmer than colder. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, I'd probably say it the other way around. Uh, but these old bones need a little more heat these days <laughs> than, than cool air. <laughs> I hear you. What is the best thing that you've done in this quarantine period? I would say uh, sharing with with friends and family. Uh, spend a little, a lot more time, I guess, on the phone with them, on FaceTime. You know that that whole theory, though. You know, even though we're alone, we're all we're we're never closer than we than we have been right now. Is is been true. Um, uh, Picking up the phone and calling your friends from from college or high school that you haven't talked to in a while, and seeing how their families have been doing that's that's really been a, a you know a, a positive takeaway for 2020. Yeah, I've I've heard that quite a bit. I think that's really cool. 
What game have you spent the most hours playing? <laughs> I'm, uh, that's a good one. Um, I think uh, probably uh, Scattergories. We, we had a monster oh, category, a uh, monstrous category game on Father's Day that went well into the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> I mean, it can get very aggressive categories. People get pretty. It, it, you know what? That, that game can turn violent in a hurry. <laughs> <you know? laughs> what bit of trivia do you know that is very interesting but also very useless? Wow. See, now that's that's a good one because you know a lot of people claim that I have an abundance of completely useless or senseless <laughs> trivia. Boy, that's a good one. Uh, that's useful. Well, I, I'll tell you, this is a, I got one that's that, that's useful, and it's 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 useful in in winning um, maybe free drinks at the bar, and that is in Major League Baseball. All the Major League Baseball parks there are, which one has the longest left field foul line and longest right field foul line? And so people start thinking of these monster parks, you know, in Oakland or maybe, you know, the old Yankee Stadium or whatever. But the answer, believe it or not, is Wrigley Field in Chicago. Really? Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, this cozy little ballpark, this neighborhood, uh, iconic, you know, uh, building, uh, has the longest foul lines both down left field and right field in Major League Baseball. Wow. Besides all the knowledge you shared with us today on Aftermarket, we're all even that much smarter now for knowing the answer to that question. So thank you. For there, that. You, there you go. <laughs> so, Jim, this has, been, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for taking some time today. Do you have any just final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? You know, I I, um, I guess if I had to leave one closing comment, I, I would uh, – I'd probably close it with uh, with this story. I, I, I went to a retirement party uh, not long ago with, with a colleague of mine, and uh, we, we, we talked about all the intricacies of dealership operations and you know, sales and you know, banking relationships and risk mitigation and all these things. And I said, well, boy, you know, at, the, at the end, what's the one thing? What's the one thing we should all do that will, will uh, you know, keep us all square? And he, and he didn't even check up. He said, he said, you know, if you if you put the customer first, all this other stuff will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at, at that at the time he said, I thought, wow, that's, that's that's an interesting perspective. But you know, you really do have to manage these things. But boy, the, the more I think about it, and the more I see it, if uh, if we put the customer first everything everything else works itself out i couldn't agree more thank you i think that's such an appropriate way to end this so thank you again so much for your time and your service to mihita this has been mihita talks with sherry altergat we'll see you next time thank you